The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by High Echelon PC, Blue Pineapple Travel, MPE Coaching, and Elemental Altitude Training Center. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys and a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls and a CPA. And you are a woman who completed a long run this morning, Friday morning, which we will be talking about in a few minutes. <laughs> because we're going to talk about running long today. Yes, we are indeed. So <laughs> I see you wiping your eyes. I hear the fatigue in your voice. So yes, I look forward to talking about it. But let's talk about a couple other quick things first. Um, and of course, we want to talk about the New York City Marathon because we need to brag about the fact that we pick both winners, <laughs> Michelle Frank. How about them apples? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that race... Um... So the men's winner, like I said on the podcast, was boring, but the race wasn't <laughs> It was not boring. boring. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, and the women's race was, you know, just another really good example of, um, obviously it took quite a 
two hours plus to get there. But when you don't have pacers <laughs> and you're not worried about time on the clock and you just have like old fashioned racing, um, that's kind of what we saw in the women's race. So yeah. it was it was fun to watch. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about, about the New York City Marathon. Um, Helen O'Beary, uh, Michelle's choice to win, uh, won the women's race in, what was it, 227-23, wasn't that it? Um, yeah, which I mean, is it's... not a fast time. Like, I right. went to look up the time immediately prior to, to starting this rate or this podcast, and you were like, time doesn't matter, George. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a time conversation. <laughs> so, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, the uh, you and I were watching it together. Um, so you came over and did a run at Kennesaw Mountain, which is right next to my house, uh, the morning of the marathon. And then I pulled up the marathon, we were watching it between our phones and we had it on the television and we were tracking people and just all the different devices that we could train on this particular race. Um, uh, we were able to watch it unfold pretty well, but at one point, I want and it was late in the women's race, it was probably like mile 22 or 23. There were 11 women still in it. Yeah. And the and the pro field was only 14 women. <laughs> yeah, I mean I <laughs> or think something like that. Yeah. For sure there were 11 women at 30k. We might mm-hmm. have dropped down to like 8 or 7 at by 35k, but they did yeah, the whole pack basically ran the whole race together. Yeah. And, and it was and it was cool to see and it was fun to watch. Um uh did you think that your pick Helen O'Beary was going to win when there were still eight women left at 35 kilometers, roughly eight men, women or more? I mean, it's hard to know because the way that Helen runs, she always looks like she's struggling. Yeah. She just, you know, she's, she's a very lumbering runner, a lumbering runner. Yeah. Like if you compare her running to like, G'day's stride mm-hmm. I mean you've literally got somebody that looks like they are a prancing princess mm-hmm. you know versus um the way that Helen runs so mm-hmm. it was hard to know um it it did seem like it would come down to them it was hard to know what Cosguy had in the tank I mean you know we say we haven't seen anything great from her since that Chicago race a few years ago when she ran a 214 she was only 20 seconds back from the winner, you know, on Sunday, but so it was hard to know when it was going to come down. And then I think, you know, you have this visual of like G'day dominating down that uh, final straight on the track, you Mm -hmm. know, and champion and that. And the the world championship 10,000 meters last year. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, so you remember like over Helen over there. Right. So, and so if it comes down to a sprint, like for sure, G'day's, probably able to out sprint her but then helen's out for blood right she's just an incredible competitor and she didn't go back to new york just to run it she went back to win it she knows what it is to win a major because she won boston this year um and i kept thinking about how dathan said before the race that she was in 211 shape Mm -hmm. um and it just felt like man she probably if she's in that good a shape she's got to have a lot left in the tank um, mm-hmm. so no, I mean, we didn't really know till what, 600 meters left. Um, yeah. but yeah, yeah it was, they, they, they were still together when they turned back into the park, which yeah. is, which is not quite to the 26 mile mark, but, but the two of them plus Sharon Locati, last year's champion in her yeah. under armor kit and shoes 
um, kid out uh, there. <laughs> was was basically still in there too, right? Um, so the three of them, they, they came into the park together, um, and then the three of them uh, made that turn out of the park and then back into the park just before the finish together. Um, so yeah, you, you kept watching it, or I kept watching it wondering, I was like, all right, when's it going to be clear? When's it going to be clear? And it wasn't until past the 26 mile mark that it was truly clear, for sure. Yeah, so I, you know, what I really loved about that was when Sharon won last year, um, she was such an underdog and nobody really talked about her going into the race. And then it felt like people really didn't talk about her after the race. She didn't get the attention that it felt like she deserved. Um, but to come back and to come in such close, you know, place to first and second place who are, you know, the best in the world in their own right. Um, and for her to just be right there. And, and for her to beat Brid Bridget Cosguy who finished fourth. Right. Mm -hmm. And for her to get to be on the podium again, um, it just, it felt like it really kind of locks her place in as one of the world's best marathoners. So I yeah. was really happy to see her up there. I just, yeah. I like her. I like her approach to running. Um, and I think she hadn't really been healthy. So it's going to be really interesting to see if she's picked for the Olympic team, you know, what, what she can do in Paris potentially. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I thought it was a great, you know, like a little predictable, but also a great podium. So. All right. So a couple of things you said there that I, that I definitely want to bring up. One, I mean, even on this podcast last week, you were like, Sharon Locati won last year, but it wasn't a very competitive field. You know, and and right. and, and I and I don't I'm not taking issue with your saying that because you're right. And, and and that's certainly what everybody was saying. And so in a in a strange roundabout kind of way, her finishing third convinces us that she's like one of the best marathoners yeah. in the world, as opposed to her finishing first last year. That's right. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I think in this field, that's, yeah, that is, that's true. So let's, so. let's, let's take that second thing that you just said though, about the Olympic team. So you have Paris Jeptichir who won the gold medal and who was injured at the New York city marathon. And so she actually didn't get to run, but, but only got injured at the very, very end of the village. She said she hurt her calf and literally her last workout. Right. Then you have Bridget Cosguy who was the world record holder until a month and a half ago, uh, has run 214, um, finished fourth in New York City, uh, and was a silver medalist in 2021 at the Tokyo Olympic Games, right? Well, then you have Sharon Locati, who won New York last year and just finished third. And then obviously you have Helen O'Beary, who just won Boston and, and New York this year. One of those women is not going to be on the Kenyan Olympic marathoning team. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, that's, I, I mean, but who, who, you, who do you leave off? Right. Yeah. And that doesn't even consider Ruth Tepengedich who, you know, won Chicago in 2022 and it missed the world record by like 30 seconds or something. Yeah, right? Like she ran two fourteen eighteen. 18. Yeah. No, right. not even 30 seconds. She was right there. Yeah. Um, she missed breaking two fourteen. But it's okay. That was, anyways. We we remember we skipped two thirteen and two twelve now. So two fourteen <laughs> is just we don't even need to talk about those runners anymore. Um, but then you also have Rosemary um Wanajru. I I don't know how to say her last name, but mm -hmm. she won Tokyo. She ran two sixteen twenty eight in Tokyo, Tokyo. So you have like six people vying for three spots on the Kenyan team, right? And even you know post. Um, Helen's win in New York, nobody thinks it's a sure thing that Team Kenya would take 
this year's Boston and New York marathon champs, the Olympics. So it's a mystery. Um, They need, you know, I actually don't think Cosguy is a factor. I don't think there's much of a chance that she gets on that team. She did run 214 in Chicago several years ago, but I think they're definitely looking for the people that can compete on these more tactical, hillier mm-hmm. yeah. courses, so to speak. So maybe we're down. Which it is, which, which the Paris course is yeah. for sure. Um, but I don't know, man, the two people that get left off team Kenya are two pretty awesome runners. Right. Two or three. So. Right. No, yeah, for sure. Interesting to see what happens. For sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny speaking of like, and we're going to circle back around and talk about the men here in just a minute, but like we were talking about the Olympic trials here in the United States. Um, and there was news this week that, that the Orlando organizers might just be like, you know what, forget it. We're not going to host the trials in which case who Are knows what would happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I think you and I both had the same reaction to it that like, obviously we don't want to see that happen. We want there to be an Olympic trials race, but at the same time, it's like, there is zero part of me, like nothing in my head at all says you have to do this given the way that they've been treated by USATF. And so, so if they were to walk away, I'd be like, yep, I don't blame them. Um, so yeah. I, there's part of me that, um, I mean, I would feel bad for the upheaval and the chaos that it would cause for the for sure. runners themselves, but for there's sure. part of me that just wishes um, that the local organizing committee in Orlando would just sack it to USATF and be yeah. like, F you, you tried to throw us under the bus. We don't have a stake in this game anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, good luck putting on your trials. Um, yeah. And, and, and it might be an event like that it might be a circumstance like that 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 would actually cause enough of a rupture for there to be a change made right um i don't I know mean, they just renewed max siegel's contract through what 2028 yeah, i don't get it i just i can't <laughs> i don't understand uh, yeah you know, um but it's less than it's it's november 10th today and the trials are supposed to be what february 4th Mm-hmm. whatever that saturday is so we have yeah. less than so that's 80 months. days and basically i mean if you're if you're running that race you're training you probably started training this week mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. if not you're about to be <laughs> yeah for sure for sure i mean and the reason why i bring it up or my, my segue to that lest it feel completely left field <laughs> was that that one thing that a lot of other countries envy about the united states olympic process is that we do put on a trials um and 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 that seems to be kind of obvious to us that are track fans in the united states well yeah of course you do and then the top three end up qualifying the team yeah that's how it works but that in most countries that can be in olympics that's not how it works at all uh including in kenya you just have a group of people who basically get together and just make the decision we're going to put helen obiri and ruth chepton getich and and uh bridget cosguy on the team and that's it and that's what we're going to do. And Sharon Lacady and the rest are are kind of left to figure out what it is they're going to do. And and Perez Jeptachir doesn't get the opportunity even to defend her gold medal. Like they just make that decision. Um, and and that's obviously something that that you know Kenyans look at us and they'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had a race where whoever won actually got to go? Um, yeah, it, so. it's interesting. I'll say that um, like Britain. United Kingdom, whoever, UK Athletics, whatever the official name is. So, like, they vacillate. Like, they had a trials for for Tokyo, but Mm -hmm. they're, again, not having a trials ahead of Paris. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So one thing that the United States, you know, in terms of all, I guess, athletics events, um, whether it's the road marathon or any of the track and field events, like there is always this, you have to be top three on the day. Um, And a lot of countries look on and, and wish, you know, that, that that was their circumstance also, but yeah, it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, who does not want there to be an Olympic marathon trials, you know, who is praying and hoping that the Orlando organizers will in fact walk away and there won't be Olympic marathon trials. Who? Clayton Murphy and, and Connor Mance, <laughs> both of whom are coached by Ed Eyestone because they would get picked if there's yeah, not an Olympic sure. trials and, and it's just left up to USATF to make that choice. They would be the obvious choices. Um, because they they have the two fastest times. They're the ones who unlocked the 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 two spots uh, in the Olympic Games. Um, they would be the obvious ones to go. Um, yeah. But but yeah, we'll see. Um, Why we don't have anybody else who can run a two hundred eight marathon is is the bigger problem. <laughs> <laughs> Any other men? Sorry, I um, should just specify here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're 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 coming. They're coming. Um, I, so. I mean, looking at, at how good our high schoolers have been over the course of the last little while here, how good our collegiate runners have been. I mean, the the level is going up everywhere, um, but it's certainly I think the level is going up here in the United States uh, and eventually that will reach the marathon. You know, one thing. OK, and we're going to continue in this digression. One thing that we <laughs> didn't talk about last week when we were talking about Kelvin Kiptum's record, um, you know, I, I look back on the conversations that we've had over the course of the past 270 podcasts here. Um, And there are certain things that people said, there's lots of things that people said that really kind of stick in my mind. Um, And one of the things that, that a guest said a few years ago uh, that has stuck in my mind was that people needed to be running athletes need to be running uh, marathons sooner. Um, Peter Ray, who is an old friend of mine and Patrick and I interviewed a few years ago, who is the head of uh, Zap Endurance um, in Western North Carolina, um, said that Bill Rogers, famous American marathoner, once said to him, you need to move people up to the marathon sooner. Like if you have a 26 year old who is in their peak, why wait until they're 34 to move them to the marathon? If they're at their peak ability right now, go ahead and put them in the marathon now and they'll be able to run their best marathon. Um, I thought about that with Kelvin Kiptum, right? I mean, this guy is is at his best and he's running the marathon right now. Um, at age 22, Elliot Kipchoge was still running 5Ks on the track and 10Ks on the track and doing brilliantly well, right? Winning global medals in that. Um but um, but Kelvin Kiptum is is running this race that he's obviously good at in his prime as a runner. And, and there's something to be said for that, too. Would you have sacrificed the next 20 years of Kipchoge's career if you had put him in the marathon? At yeah, I don't know. I mean, we you don't we, know. Yeah. It's a gamble. Yeah. I mean, we, we I still very much, you know, what would you prefer uh, 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 to go out like a firework or, or to just be sort of a slow burning? Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, what what was the Jack London poem where he says, I want to use my time, um, but it's You're basically me about poetry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, but it's, 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 it's that, it's that idea. Um, yeah. It's the idea of, of, we have a limited amount of time on earth and we want to use all that time. We want to maximize it. Um, and not to say that Elliot Kipchoge has not used his time, obviously. Um, but, but it is to say that, that there's something to be said for, 
you only got one life to live. You have, why not try and go as high as you possibly can in five years rather than go pretty high in, in 20 years. I, I, I get it. I understand. And this is coming from a guy who has been pretty good at running for 30 years, but yeah, never the, so but, but never the best. <laughs> <laughs> But I just keep on going and all the people that beat me at the various stages just disappear. What's fun now is that there's all these people I run against now, many of whom beat me, that are my age that didn't run 30 years ago, that only came into running like five or six years ago and found that they had some sort of natural proclivities for it. So, so yeah, it's like a whole new crop of people that beat me at races now that are my age. Super. <laughs> yeah, but at least you're the one still racing at your age. So. And you're not like at home on the couch you know, not doing anything. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And I agree with you on that. And I appreciate you saying that um, because that is something I, I actually do pride myself on. Um, all right. So back to the men's race in New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so the men's race was the opposite of the women's race. And it was funny because, because when the men's race ended, you were like, Oh my God, that was boring. And I was like, it was not boring. It was just so different. I mean, they were both brilliant races, but there could not have been more different races. The women, race was a slow tactical race where you had virtually literally the majority of the women's pro field still in the race with only 5k left to go um, the men's race was the opposite they literally started pushing the pace from 5k forward um, and and the lead pack whittled down to only about four and then only about three and by the time they got to 16 miles by the time they came off the queensboro bridge it was two guys it was Tamarant Toll, the guy that I picked to win, and one other guy, um, uh, Yimmer. Um, and and Yimmer tried to stick with him, and Tamarant Toll just shifted gears and ran off and left him. And Yimmer faded to eighth or ninth on the day. Um, yeah, and Tamarant Tola, uh, running by himself, ran a course record. Uh, becomes the first man ever to run under 205 on the New York City course, which is a hard course to run 205 on ran 204 58 uh and broke the course record by eight seconds um in a very impressive way and he looked rough crossing the finish line he looked tired yeah, he yeah he was well you know something like the difference between um Kiptum and chicago running a world mm -hmm. record and mm -hmm. like not even looking tired mm -hmm. and him crossing the finish line and i kept on thinking like is someone gonna let him sit down like, can someone bring him a chair yeah kind of like, he actually had to signal for people to bring him water. Yeah. He, like, asked and then he for sat it. down on the ground. So yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so happy he's tired. Because, <laughs> like what he just did on the New York course should be tiring. Right. Like any athlete who just accomplished what he accomplished should be utterly exhausted. So I right. was actually, it, it felt, um, it felt right mm -hmm. to see him so spent, but it felt, it felt fair. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, overall, I think I enjoyed the men's 5K <laughs> the day before. Where, where, the where they almost got run over by the bus? What a terrible okay, thing well, to say, yeah, Michelle. Yeah, the men's 5K road championship was the day before in New York City. And they had some sort of screw up with the administration of the direction of the race uh, was shutting down the streets. And they were running through a major New York intersection and a bus rolls right into the pack of them. Um, which fortunately the bus was able to stop fast enough and, and all the, uh, the runners were spry enough to be able to dodge it. But yeah, that obviously could have been a, a pretty horrendous tragedy had that bus just rolled directly into that pack, that lead pack of men. And it was like 15 minutes at that point. Um, I, all of them, of course, were running under 14 minute pace. Yeah. I've watched so. that video probably like two dozen times. I'll also say, um, 
I work with somebody very like in the running industry. I knew they were there that weekend. They have, you know, athletes there and, but I never talk running um, because my relationship with them is totally business. But I said on a call this week, I was like, okay, guys, I just have to know. We don't have to talk about New York, but like, did you guys know about the bus in the men's 5k? Like, <laughs> were people talking about that in the media room was like, is, does New York Roadrunners, are they going to fix that? And they said that it was people were like, it took a long time for people to realize how unbelievable, catas- unbelievably catastrophic that could have been. Right. Um, right. So, but they did ultimately realize it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He said, oh yeah. Like, so, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think you guys know, I, you and Eric, I was like a day later, I'm like, okay, can we just, can we not be done talking about this? <laughs> there's so many, things, like the, the way that the motorcade almost got hit and the way that the bus stopped and the guys are right there. And did they know for the next two and a half miles that they almost got run over by a bus and where was the police blockage? And anyway, yeah. So. Right. And every time they came up to a, every time they came up to a intersection like after that, where they like have it on a swivel looking both ways, trying to figure out whether they're going to have a, a bus coming into the pack again. Yeah, no fair questions for sure. Um, so yeah, we will definitely circle back around when New York Roadrunners issues a press release about what they did to actually rectify that. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, no. So Tamara Tola crossed the finish line, asked for water, um, and and looked spent. I couldn't help but think of of um, there was an interview that was done with Kelvin Kiptum um, after Chicago, and he said, "I think I can run under two hours because I've never really hurt in a marathon." And they said, "They said you've never actually been uncomfortable. You've never actually been through pain in a marathon." He's like, "No, not yet." Yeah, that this is yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So, uh, that's yeah. not fair. <laughs> yeah. So he did he did announce that he's going to be doing the Rotterdam Marathon in the spring. Um, yeah. And so we'll see. I immediately went to the Rotterdam Mar- Marathon website to see if I could register, perhaps. And it is sold out just for all those wow. of you who have the same thing I said. But but notably, he's he's going to Rotterdam, not going to London. Rotterdam can't pay him as much as London can. And so he's making a strategic choice to go to Rotterdam, clearly with a mind to to trying to, to try break, to break two, two hours. hours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what all the analysis says. And honestly, that's really the only thing that makes sense. Um mm-hmm it's much more suited to break two hours uh, than London. And yeah, he probably has a small window to run this fast. So yeah. I don't think we're going to see him dominating for years and years, the way that Kipchoge has, but I guess, yeah. you know, he could prove us wrong. We'll see. Yeah. I hope and that eventually at some point he gets tired though, during, during, <laughs> during the you, you, you want him to have a bad race. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I want him to feel the same pain that everybody else feels yeah. like the one yeah. thing that, yeah. I, I really believe about the elites is yes, they're so much faster than us, but like they do hurt the same, right? Yeah. Like it does, there is like, they just, yeah. but they have a level of talent that, you know, an amateur runner doesn't, that's why this is their job and they're professional. Um, so to hear somebody be like, I've never really hurt that can run as fast as he can run. I can't put two and two together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, and, and of course he says that, um, and that might be part of the mind games he's playing with his competitors, um, even though that would be pretty strategic for a 22 year old. Um, and, and it could be that that he just has an abnormally high pain tolerance. Um, who knows um, exactly what is behind his actually saying that. Um, but no, I agree with you. Um, the one thing that that I do take solace in when I see people running so much faster, it's like, well, they're hurting, too. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, for him to say, no, I've never really hurt in a race. Eh, all right. <laughs> okay, Kelvin, you do you. Um, 
But I do think um, one way or another, uh, Rotterdam does feel close to the Olympic Games. Um, and so we'll see what, what ends up happening with that. You know, the, but, the Olympic marathon is going to be in August. But yeah, there's there's no way to I mean, he's he is much better suited to go for this sub two hours than to, you know, hang his hat on potentially running in Paris. Yeah. Um, the yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, I agree. I agree. And 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 clearly running under two hours is something that speaks to him probably more than winning an Olympic medal, at least in this Olympic Games, actually speaks to him. Right. Um, yeah. You know, you, you talk about what motivates different runners and what they want to do and, and all that sort of thing. Elliot Kipchoge is clearly motivated by the idea of, I think, winning three gold medals. Right. He, he, he likes he likes the idea of, of doing things that people haven't done before. He wanted to win all six marathon majors. Right. Like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he, he 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 wanted he did two separate breaking two projects because he wanted to be the first person to run under two, even if it wasn't in record eligible conditions. Right. He likes that idea. He likes playing that role. Um, and so I, I think that the Olympics probably matter a whole lot more to him than they do to Kelvin Kipton. I think Kelvin Kipton still kind of run as fast as he possibly can, which totally I get agree. that too. Yep. I get that too. Um, all right. Um, did you, let's do our strength work check-in now that we've been talking for, I don't know, half an hour. <laughs> Have you been doing your strength work? Have I been doing my strength work? Well, today is Friday. I have two strength workouts to do this week. I moved my Wednesday strength workout to today, and then I have another one that is going to be on Sunday. So, like, it, it was like a full strength workout, like go to the gym strength type workout, or go, go to, to the, the gym, gym in your like basement this, type strength workout. Yeah, I have enough stuff in my basement that I can get in like a real strength workout. Um, so I ran a workout on Wednesday and was not so. Um, did not feel like the strength workout would be a good idea, not because I was sore from the workout, but because I knew I had to do a long run today, which is Friday morning. So I figured I'll just do the strength workout um, after the long run today. And then after, I guess I have another workout on Sunday. Um, <laughs> so I'm 0 for 2 this week, but the week is still young. All right. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> the week is still young. There's still two full days left in this seven day week. <laughs> George, there, you know, it's uh, it's more than two days. It's like two days and 10 hours. So, okay. Okay. Fair, fair point. Uh, two and a half take days. Away my time. So. Two and a half days. Thank you for that. You're right. You're right. I'm and actually, the, I, this is far more fun here the last month or so to actually talk about the strength work check in here because I actually have something to report. Um, I had a full blown strength workout on Wednesday, went to the gym did the strength workout, was quite proud of myself for pulling it off, was surprised at how long the strength workout actually took. Cause I tend to move pretty quickly in the gym. I like yeah. superset everything and I just don't have a lot of time standing around. And it's not, it's not like I'm not being a busy body. I'm just, I just don't like to, to spend a whole lot of time in the gym. Right. So um, how long and, did it take? And it still took almost an hour. It took 55 minutes. Really? Yeah. Um, so I, I was surprised by that. Um, as I was strength work. So I'm saying, right. Um, but yeah, I had the, I had the, all the mobility stuff at the beginning and then, um, uh, several, several sets of a main set. Right. And then, um, essentially what, what I would have called like core work at the end, like where I'd go over to the mat on the side and do a whole bunch of things that, that are mostly related around my core. Um, but certainly not all of them. Um, I, I, our coach, my coach, is finding new ways to make me look ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, as if like 
trying to balance on one foot and bend over forward is not difficult enough for me already. Then to try and do it 12 times in a row, I think it takes every muscle in my body to actually try and maintain my balance if I try to bend forward while balancing on one foot. Um, but then also, and this is a really good warm up, but there's a thing called an inchworm where basically you're standing in one place, you put your hands on the ground, you walk your hands out. And so you get out, out to essentially like an extended plank position. Then you walk your feet up to where your hands are, right? Like an inchworm. It's so hard. Um, I, I, cannot imagine what an idiot I must look like doing this because my because I'm not flexible and my legs are long right and so like by the time I get my hands up to like my knees are just I feel like so gangly and uncoordinated doing that and I'm sure that all of these like bros in the gym are looking at me like who is this moron wearing the Berlin marathon shirt doing his little gangly inchworm thing that's me but I did it so I videoed myself (laughs) doing a similar um like bend and reach or like one leg where you know you've been like I'm balancing and the feedback so and I sent it and the feedback that I got you know I think she said something like well this is one we can keep working on (laughs) (laughs) I have no balance I'm falling I'm I'm like I'm every other motion besides just bending forward and coming back up right Um, but it's interesting because like running is, we're always just on one foot, one foot or one balancing leg. on so, one foot, right? Oh my gosh, if I could do this stuff, how mm-hmm. much more stable or right? You know how much it could potentially help my running is exactly to think about when I know how awful I am at actually executing these exercises. Yeah, I you're you're exactly right, and I am so bad at balancing on one foot. I wonder how I even run. Like, like, like if, if I cannot stand up, just stand on one foot, like, how do I, how do I manage to move through space one foot at a time? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like that's how bad I am at it. Um, but it's funny because, because I have been, and so with that in mind that running is essentially like hopping from one foot to another, balancing on one foot, balancing on the other foot, that sort of thing. Um, to the degree that that's what running essentially is, um, I've been reading for years about how, well, you need to make sure you have good balance on one foot. This improves your proprioception. It, it, it makes sure that, that everything is, is engaged and firing the way that it's supposed to. Like I've been reading about that and I still have never done it. And so again, the theme that you brought up last week, the truer words that have never been spoken, as you said, as you called them last week, um, that this is something I don't really like. And I'm definitely not good at, but definitely something I need. Um, it definitely falls into that category. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, tell me about your long run this morning. Um, I got up really early. I actually tried to go to bed at 745 last night. One is going to hear that and think it's ridiculous, but have no fear. I actually was awake at 845 and then I was awake at 1030 with my daughter. Um, so, and then I woke up before my 330 alarms. But I had to get. Okay, it so so your your goal was to sleep from seven forty five p.m. and then get up at three thirty a.m. to do your long yeah. run. Yeah. No, I wanted to start my run at four thirty, but I'm having, I wouldn't say like a lot of trouble in the early morning. I'm just, I feel like I can't just get up and go anymore. And mm-hmm. I I know this is ridiculous, and I don't know why it feels this way. But I just figured if I got up and actually was able to have coffee and was awake for a bit more time than usual. Um, I, I thought if I started at like 4.30, then I would be back by about my kid. The first kid comes downstairs at 7.15. So my goal is always just to be functioning when my kids wake up in the morning. Gotcha. Um, 
Yeah. So by the time I got up and got out, um, started right at 432-ish. I don't know why I know that. I think I like the idea. I really wanted to start my garment at like 4.30 and I missed it. It was like 4.31. So I just stood in my driveway until it turned over to 4.32. And then this is the saddest Wait, part. you were okay with missing it by two, but you weren't okay with missing it by one? Yeah, I don't do odd numbers. You know that. Oh, I did know that. I had forgotten okay. that. I think that's an important thing for our listeners to know. So I'm glad you said it. <laughs> okay. So, and here's the saddest part. And I feel like I can get a lot of empathy from listeners of the podcast versus potentially my 17 year old, but I got four <laughs> minutes into the run and I left my handheld at home mm. and it's hot here today, right? It was like 62 degrees, yeah. crazy humidity. And I was, and it's early, so I don't have a multitude of places to stop and buy a drink. Mm-hmm. So once I basically turned around and I came back home and I got my water, um, I really kind of got going, but I didn't stop my watch. And in the end, I think that additional eight minutes helped my loop to be absolutely perfect. Um, (laughs) So two hours and 20 minutes. And I made this like massive loop around Decatur and went all the way down to the bottom of Virginia Highlands and then came back up and neighborhood and basically only had like 20 seconds that I had to fill in when I got back to my street. So I felt like a bit of a rock star. Right on. Uh, but yeah, otherwise just um, kind of slow and steady or steady that happened to be slowish. Okay. Um, but it was hot and I was tired, but I would say um, I felt like really equal energy the whole time, which um, is actually a little bit better than some of these initial long runs for me have been where it's just been tough from the get-go. Um, so I was happy with that. And as much complaining as I have done in the last five minutes um, in this monologue about this morning, it is so awesome to get the long run over with before the weekend. Like I'm a huge fan of just being able to go into the weekend. And um, that's what I was about to ask you, actually. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, you like doing your long run. So you run first thing in the morning, like stupid early alarm set for three 30 in the morning, but that's a legitimate reason you're a mom and, and, um, yeah, you, 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 you want to, yeah. So, so you want, you want to make sure that you, and you're a business owner. And so you want to make sure that you, you get your long run done, but then, but then why Friday? Um, well this weekend specifically, we have a horse show for my youngest daughter on Sunday and, I think the timing is fine. I could have gotten it in on Sunday, but I really wanted to just, um, yeah, I swapped a treadmill workout over the weekend for the long run today. So I just want the weekend free, um, especially this weekend, just because of logistical stuff. And newsflash, I also have to do a long run on Friday next week because I'm driving to Orlando that Sunday. So um, I just like to get it I guess I'm but but even when you don't have to drive to Orlando you like doing it on Friday yeah so I was gonna say so I think we've talked about this but I carry a bit of maybe more anxiety than the average person into like the workouts or the really long runs and Mm -hmm. the weeks for me are just heavy with stress whether it's like work or kids stuff so if I can get over the most stressful part of running for the weekend then it just feels like I have two days where my brain just is kind of free of worrying about running. Um, mm-hmm. I can just either not worry at all. Haha, that's funny. That probably never happens or worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, so we've had um, Dara on the podcast before, Dara Steele Belkin, but she's mm-hmm. the one who a few years ago was basically like, she actually trains um, Pete from Zap Endurance is her coach. 
And she, a few years ago, started running her long runs ahead of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And she just got into this habit of um, being able to enjoy her weekends. So that got into my head also. And I will mm-hmm. say that if I can work it out, then yeah, I'm team get it over with on a Friday. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I yeah, I, I get that certainly. Um, you know, it's it, it's definitely not the norm, right? I mean, there's so no, many people who do who do their long runs on Saturday and probably even more of them that do their long runs on Sunday for sure. Um, but but yeah, I, I've I've always kind of found it interesting. You know, it's funny, I, oftentimes for me, when I have something to do, whether it's a run or a paper or some sort of task, even if it's something I like to do it'll kind of hang over my head um, and having it hanging over my head is worse than actually doing it. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, And so, so yeah, if you, if you, if you know, if you have anxiety about a long run, right. um, And it's hanging over your head all day Saturday, then yeah, by the time you get to Sunday, you've spent all this anxiety and stress all day Saturday. Like just go ahead and get to it, go ahead and get it done. Right. Yeah. So I think also in a training cycle, I can, kind of bounce it out with the desire to run on the softer surface. Mm-hmm. And then I know the only option for that is really driving somewhere. Um, and that's on a weekend. But mm-hmm. if I'm not going to do that on a weekend, because of kids or other plans mm-hmm. or travel, mm-hmm. then I'm more likely to knock it out on the roads before the weekend. So I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So 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 wait, so you will potentially do it over the weekends if you can do it on soft surfaces. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think yeah. Okay. I see that. Um, do you like to do it on soft services? Do you like to do them on the road? Um, it depends if I want to just get in time on my feet or if I want to potentially feel fit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't really because you're, feel... you're faster on the road. Yeah. Faster mm-hmm. on the road. Um, but actually now that I say that a really good run on softer surfaces can also make me feel like, Oh yeah, I know I'm coming into some fitness. So mm-hmm. I would say it's just a different time on feet is kind of what I'd look at on softer surfaces or on trails. Um, mm-hmm. and then on the road, it's, you know, it's more easy to analyze like pace and mm-hmm. elevation gain and heart rate and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's just, a, it's a, there in my mind, like, they could be the same distance runs, but they're very different runs. Oh, for um, sure. My takeaway from them is is different. For sure. For sure. Now, I, I, I like to, and there's there's no data. There's never been a good research study that demonstrates that you actually get injured less by running on soft surfaces. Um, but nonetheless, it's conventional wisdom inside of running that if you run on soft surfaces, you'll get injured a little bit less, right? Um, and so I always like to do my longer runs on soft surfaces. Um, and I live right next to some trails, some really, really nice yeah. trails, as it turns yeah. out, um, that that makes it pretty easy for me to to do most of my long runs, if not all of my long runs on soft surfaces. But yeah, particularly if I'm training for a road marathon, I like to sometimes do them on the road, not only yeah. because because I want to have a little bit of specificity. Um, I've talked on this podcast before about how some people are too specific, right? But but a little bit of specificity, I think, is good. Um, but then also, as weird as it might sound, sometimes running on the trails, even if they're really nice, beautiful trails, can kind of get old too. Um, and you just want to mix it up, and and it seems more exciting to actually just go out on the road and run on the road, you know? Um, so it's funny because it feels to me like, especially just coming off this morning 
the trails are safer. I mean, I understand from like a biomechanical soft surfaces, but also you're not going to get hit by a car on yeah. the trails. Yeah. And when you're running through Metro Atlanta, you, there is uh God, I don't know. For sure. I have no fury on these cars <laughs> that are continually looking left to turn right. And then they just yeah. make a right turn. Yeah. Oh, forget it. It's like, yeah. I, that's definitely how I'm going to die. The, the, the most dangerous scenario is when you are coming from the right yep. or, or toward a car that is turning right yes, because, 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 because they, because they go, and this is in the United States, of course, where we drive right. on the right side <laughs> of the road. Um, but, but yeah, because they, because they pull up towards the stop and they just look left. They don't look yeah. right and because they're not looking for you. They're looking for other cars. Right. Um, and, and there is research that has shown that that in the first couple of weeks after the time change, there are more incidents between cars and, and bikes and yeah. pedestrians um, because people are, are now driving in the dark during times, even in the morning or in the evening when they weren't accustomed to driving in the dark. Um, it's not like. It's not like you could get gradually adjusted to it over time. But here in the U.S., when we change the clocks in the fall, when we set them back, which is what we did last weekend, suddenly you go from it being totally light at five o'clock or five fifteen here in Atlanta to being totally dark. Um, And so so your commute changes immediately um, and, and the conditions in which you're driving changes overnight and people don't adjust very quickly. It takes a couple of weeks. And in that time, folks get hurt. And For interactions sure. between people in cars and people not in cars, right? Um, so you mentioned your bottle. How do you fuel? So I happen to um, have always eaten almost like a full breakfast or what I would eat before um, an actual race before a long run. So mm-hmm. I think like my whole theory behind fueling is practice what you're going to use on race day. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had... I don't know, a few hundred calories this morning before I went out and I would do the same thing if I had, you know, woken up early to like run a road marathon. So to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost never run fasted even on like an easy run. So for sure, not a long run. And I'm really big on, um, at for sure by like the 40 minute mark, um, taking some sort of nutrition. So mm-hmm. today, um, that's on, hours, only on long runs though. Like if you're running for an hour, you're not going to take a nutrition at a 40 minute mark. Any, no, but I am eating probably like 150 calories and like 50 grams of carbs before I go out just mm-hmm. for a 45, 60 minute easy run. Mm-hmm. Um, so I brought two Morton gels with me this morning and I happened to, um, also, because I knew it was going to be warm and humid this morning, I like the scratch. Uh, it used to be called hyperhydration. I, I forget exactly what the name is, but it's passion fruit. And I drink it the night before. It has like 1600 milligrams of sodium. I, I lose a good bit of salt per hour. Um, so, But I didn't have any last night. Um, so I texted a friend, Katie Bennett. I don't think she listened to the podcast. She lives in Buckhead off of East Paces Ferry Road. Tell, tell her that you name checked her. We can get a new listener. Yeah. Um, so I drove 20 minutes to go pick up one packet oh. because nobody sells it. Like maybe like all okay. three sports sell it. Right. But I'm not going up to Roswell to get it. Um, and REI doesn't have near me, doesn't have any like Ellen element or anything that's got just a lot of sodium. So I had a bunch of sodium last night. And then when I went out this morning, I brought two gels and I also in the handheld put scratch, um, a serving to scratch with water. And I considered not doing that, 
but what there's happens no, and there's no there's no calories in that it's mostly there is just, calories, it's, it's calories. A, a significant amount of calories like a real amount or um so in the scratch is another like 90 grams okay uh, so you're sorry, so, so, like so another you're... 24 grams of carbs okay and about 230 milligrams of sodium i think okay so so, so you are you're you are fueling with with yeah I'm with fueling liquid with then liquid yeah. and um so i figured i would sip that for an hour i'd have two gels and then at some point i would either fill up water on like one of the freedom parkway water fountains or as i do most of the time in town i just stop and buy a bottle of water yeah um and I almost didn't put the scratch in my handheld this morning, but I'm so glad I did because when I went to take my second gel, I couldn't open it. Mm. Um, so I was right at like the hour 20 minute mark and I couldn't open it on the run. And then I, it was still dark and I was so sweaty and so wet. I just couldn't um, hold it, but I had mm. also just destroyed the little area, I guess, where you can successfully rip it. There with, yeah. There was no tab left. It's still totally sealed. Um, so I was really happy to have had the handheld yeah. with scratch and gel. But yeah, I'm typically, um, you know, I would fuel a, a tiny bit later on training runs than I would during a race. So right. I might take the first gel in a road marathon around like the 25 or 30 minute mark pretty mm -hmm. early. Um, mm -hmm. But typically every 40 minutes on a run like this, I'm mm -hmm. eating something. Mm -hmm. um, I happen to just grab two gels today. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. You fuel more than I do. Um, like I'll, I'll oftentimes before a long run, I might not always, but I might have something small to eat beforehand. Um, and I, I always drink tea, right? So, so I have a tea with a little bit of milk in it. Um, but, but I, I, I might eat something small beforehand. Um, and then as far as fueling during the run, I never drink calories. Um, but then I'll have a gel maybe every 45 minutes or so if I'm going more than an hour and a half. Um, but, but yeah, I, I tend to not fuel really, really heavily on my longer runs. Um, certainly far less than what I tend to do when I'm actually racing a marathon, right? Um, there was some research, like the definitive thing on fasted running was about 2010, I want to say is when it was. Um, and they took a group of runners, two groups of runners, basically, or separated them into two groups, one of whom they had do a whole bunch of fasted long runs. And the other one they had to do uh, fed long runs, they called them, where they actually fueled during the long runs and that sort of thing. Um, and they found out that the fasted long runners um, actually did better over time. They, they actually had greater training induced increases in their VO2 max um, and their muscle glycogen was actually improved. Um, but it wasn't true for everybody. Um, and so, so it's not like this thing where, oh, if you do a fasted long run, you'll be able to preserve more glycogen and you'll increase your max VO2. They actually, the, the biggest takeaway for me from the study was that they had this really wide variance between responses of the people. Um, they found that men were better responders to it than women tended to be, um, that women needed to fuel more than men did. Um, and and they found that that uh, in some cases it actually interfered with the uptake of glycogen. Like like if you if you go fasted into a long run, your body learns how to hang on to glycogen maybe a little bit better, but also loses its ability to utilize it. Yeah, <laughs> which defeats the purpose, right? Yeah, and for me, I think it's also really important. Like if you can finish these long runs and spend the rest of the day recovering, hang out on the couch, get in a nap, you know, I'm go for it. Like if you want to run fasted and, you know, but I need to be able to finish these runs and go hard 
for like the next 10 to 12 yeah. hours. And yeah. part of my, you know, every 40 minutes, like this morning, the third 40 minute increment, I would have been done. So I would have had um, like a recovery shake the minute I walked in the door, I already had it prepared is I've got to fuel these runs so that I'm not so that I'm literally not dead afterwards. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah. I don't have all day to, you know, try to recover from the like depletion from running yeah. either fasted or even just like not fueling during the run itself. Right. So. To say, to say nothing of what would happen if you kind of blew it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because that's, that's a real danger with running fasted too, is that you might blow it um, and you might bonk and, and then not only your recovery for the remainder of the day with your life, with your kids who are getting out of bed right about the time you're returning home from your long run. Yeah. Um, not only that, but then your training is messed up. And then the whole reason why you moved your, your long run to Friday is now wrecked because you feel right. terrible all weekend long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't, you know, I've, yeah. I've been hospitalized for dehydration. I've had, I've been like, I've, I've, I've made all these mistakes, right? So some of this is like live and learn what works for you. Um, but just like as a general, I'm, I'm fueling before, during and after mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 And I think that's good. I think that's smart. I mean, and, and yeah, I, I, I definitely, when I don't eat, I'm not going into it being like, I'm going to improve my glycogen. Like I, I, I don't tend to do that. I just don't tend to eat a whole lot before I run. I just, I like to feel a little bit lighter and a little bit hungrier when I run. It's, it's, it might be entirely a mentally mental thing. Um, but not everybody's that way. And I found that it doesn't negatively impact me. Right. Um, yeah. So, so maybe it is what it is. My, uh, my, my coach actually asked me this week if when I'm doing workouts first thing in the morning, if I in fact eat anything and then do I take in a sports drink while on the bike? I was like, definitely not. Yeah, Does definitely not. You too? So, so she suggested that we might try it, but we'll see what she has to say. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I like the suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> you think I need to? <laughs> I mean, if it helps you, like, you know, so, what's the harm? It is an if, extra if thing helps. to have to prepare, right? Yeah. It's a little annoying. Mm -hmm. Um, it definitely means I'm never getting my water bottle back that's sitting on your windowsill. You <laughs> use it for a sports drink for your workout. But I think know, it's actually in the back you know. of my car right now. So I don't know. I mean, I might have used it recently, so so I can't guarantee <laughs> that it's still on the windowsill. I use it all the time. <laughs> really Michelle, you should know when you leave things at my house, they get used. That that's 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 good. Your 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 bottle is not lonely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I hear. Um. Um, all right. So, so we talked about, about when you do it, we talked about how you fuel in it. Um, you did two hours and 20 minutes today. Um, what's the longest long run that you like to do in a marathon build? So I think three hours is, is, is enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I do too. I like to have one of these runs like filled with more marathon pace miles than you, you do like, like prescribe that. to your athletes. You do like um, that. I totally intellectually understand like you don't need that, especially if you carry fatigue into a long run. Mm -hmm. Um, but the like the fittest I've ever felt before a marathon was and I'll just it was like 10 years ago and and I know this is just kind of sort of old school and it might just be something that doesn't work at all or conflicts with everything else but i just remember we did like 15 miles of marathon pace work on columns drive mm -hmm. ahead of boston in 2013 and i just thought it was so fun to 
And we might have done another two and a half also. I just, it was at that time, I guess the fitness that I had, it was so cool to just like go out there and just click off those miles um, one after another. But regardless, I think anything over three hours has like a deleterious effect. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary. I think um, recovering from it can actually probably set you back more than, you know, than what the benefit might be. Um, I agree. If I, I agree. And I think it's I have, risky too. Yeah. I think it's, so I'll, I'll, I will just throw the caveat in, you know, I did help somebody last year. She ran New York. It was her first marathon and we figured she'd be out there like close to the five hour mark. Mm -hmm. um, so I did have her do like a four hour run, but mm -hmm. I just needed her to know that she could be on her feet for four hours yeah. so that yeah. when she got, you know, three plus hours into New York, she knew she'd be okay. And she knew she would finish. Yeah. Um, I didn't have her do it because I thought that like it was going to, you know, increase her fitness or ability to run faster. Right. Um, but I do think if you don't have years of marathoning or, you know, whatever distance you're running under your belt, that there is that um, I got to know I can do this at least once before sure. you go out there and do it. So maybe Absolutely. one 23 or 26 mile run if it's like your first marathon. But if you're 10 years into marathoning, I don't know, man. I think the other work is is more important. Um, I agree. I agree. So. Yeah, I think you're far better off doing a lot of two hour runs rather than one four hour run for sure. But 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 your point is well made that that I think that there is always a variety of purposes that any workout serves, including a long run. Um, and it could be a mental one. Right. Yep. Yeah, um, totally. If 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 you are going to benefit mentally by going out and running four hours and that mental boost that you get from it outweighs some of the physical damage that's done by running a little bit too far, then then it's probably worth doing. Um, and so so, yeah, I would not I would not necessarily say that's a bad thing. Um, I, I think I've said before on this podcast, that's one way that I've really changed as a coach over the course of the past five or six years is that I've 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 begun to pay more attention to the mental benefits of doing particular workouts in equal measure to the physiological benefits. Um, I think they matter, too. Yeah. The, the you know, the research shows that right around the two hour mark is where the endurance benefits kind of they don't flatten out but they just don't increase significantly but then your injury risk increases significantly and so beyond the two hour mark you're not getting a huge boost for the risk that you're taking um, and to me as a coach and and as an athlete it's not worth the risk to go over two hours a whole bunch of times um, I do think that there is benefit in doing a longer run, a physiological benefit even in doing a longer, longest run. Um, I tend to cap it at three hours uh, for, for most of my athletes. For myself, I cap it at about what my goal is. So if I'm trying to break 240, I cap it at about 240. Um, and, and I think that's a good way to do it. Um, but But that's only the longest run. That's not every single run. They're not going out and running three hours, weekend after weekend, after weekend, after weekend. Um, I also think for more experienced athletes that have, that have spent some time and have done what you're talking about, that, that actually having a really long run, like having a 50 K or something like that in the buildup, just a single one, not again, training them over and over and over again can actually 
provide some benefits. But I think you need to prove over the course of multiple training cycles that you can do that and not get injured and not bonk and not get over dehydrated and all that sort of thing before you actually try that. Um, I think that's something that only more experienced runners should should really give a, give a shot to after they've kind of tried the other longer runs too. But, sure. but yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think the other thing too, when it comes to thinking about your longest long run um, is that people always say, well, I need to run 20 miles because I need to, to, uh, how am I going to run 26 if I can't run 20? Um, and I always think that that's not a really good way of thinking about it because you're not paying attention to what you've done in the week leading up to the long run. Like over the course of the past several days, you've done all these strength workouts and you've done other runs and all that sort of thing. And you brought all of that to the starting line of your long run this morning. Um, and so the two hours that you ran this morning, that's not like the first two hours of what your race is going to be. It's like the last two hours. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, as I say that you look like you just suddenly got a cramp. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hurting a little. <laughs> it's, okay. I, it's, it's because after making you run two hours and 20 minutes this morning, then I make you get on to the podcast with me and talk for an hour and 10 minutes about what it was like to run two hours and 20 minutes on a Friday morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, it is interesting. I am, I am cramping a little bit throughout the day today. And I don't actually know why, because I thought that I think it's dehydration. Yeah, I think um, it's dehydration. But you know, yeah. um, I've had pizza, I've had sushi. <laughs> so you know, you're like Bill Rogers. Bill Rogers, <laughs> who we are now name checking for the second time in the podcast today, was well known for eating bizarre things, and and that's kind of you. I feel like when you finish a long run, it's weird. It, yeah, you texted us the other day that you had had like four graham crackers and six cheeses and a handful of the spaghetti that you were making for your daughters for breakfast. Was, like, <laughs> I think that was just yesterday, George. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, I think I was pre-gaming the run today. All right. There um, you go. There you go. Yeah, no, I think the problem is, is I lose my appetite. So, but I know that it's like really important to refuel. So I try not to skip the meals, mm-hmm. but I'm also not um, like I was heating up pizza for my kids for lunch this morning. Mm-hmm. So I just threw an extra piece in. Um, and that was, <laughs> I don't know if you'd call it breakfast. And then I was grocery <laughs> shopping and I needed lunch. So I bought like sushi from Kroger. I mean, this is not good stuff. It's just getting calories. Grocery store in. sushi is, is it's disgusting, George. Don't even I, go there. I, no, I, I get, no. It depends on the grocery store, I guess. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I was going to no. say it's, it's, it's a quick way to get something that's not necessarily bad for you, but it depends on the sushi that you get, I suppose. And the um, grocery store that you go to. So yeah. very um, good. Yeah. Very good. Um, Michelle, I appreciate you talking all things long run with me here today. So um, uh, including, of course, the long run that was the New York City Marathon. Uh, next week, are we actually going to talk about this book of the quarter? Yes, because I'm going to read it before next week. All right. So uh, next week, mark your calendar. We will be talking about the race that changed running the inside story of UTMB by Doug Meyer. And so that is something to look forward to. Finish it up. Look at all the beautiful pictures. And I'll look forward to talking about it with you, Michelle. I'm actually, um, I have to put the sequel to fourth wing on hold to read this. So I'm like holding myself accountable to all of our listeners, even though if you are a listener and you are not reading that right now, I bet your partner or your significant other is. My significant other is. Yes. For sure. I knew it. No, I gotta, gotta talk to Casey. So, so, so my, my wife who has a book goal of 75 books in 2023, uh, which she is going to reach um is is in fact uh, probably reading that right now 
it's interesting because I mean we don't always read the same stuff, but like the Sarah J. Moss books, and mm -hmm. whenever I see Casey reading that, it just makes yeah. me feel so she much read, better that she I read like, like a read dozen them. of those. Yeah, yeah, because she's like so smart. So I sometimes when I'm reading those, I'm like I probably shouldn't be reading this, but then if Casey posts that she's reading it, <laughs> I'm like it's all good. <laughs> I can still be smart and read this. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, so I get it right on. Yes, I'll very be ready good. next week to talk about. It. Awesome. Very good. Okay. Very good. Thanks, all Michelle. Right. Later. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Be sure to share us with your friends. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at elementalaltitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementalaltitude. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelloncpa.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.